this country to be able to do that. May we never take that for granted uh, when we gather on a Sunday morning in any given service. Uh, because I'm always reminded that there are people all across this planet that don't have that privilege. And so we want to be open to receive what God would say to us this morning. Uh, it is always a privilege that I have to be able to come and to be able to share what I feel like that God has laid on my heart. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here. And as Pastor Raphael was saying you know, earlier, uh, we have had a great journey uh, in this area in the, in the aspect of youth ministry. Uh, and I am reminded as we were driving in this morning that uh, it was several years ago when I came for the first time, Denise and I came and we shared our heart with you about campus ministry. It's kind of neat to hear that, you know, have be here with FCA this morning. Uh, but but uh, we came to you uh, and we asked you if you would support a ministry called Youth Alive uh, as missionaries. And uh, it wasn't a proven ministry yet at that point. It was something that we were launching in the network and we were beginning to think about could we be able to go onto school campuses around our district and be able to share uh, the message of hope that uh, ultimately Jesus can make a change in the life of a student. Uh, and I can say this all these years later that we've had thousands, literally thousands of students hear about the saving knowledge of Jesus as a result of your church giving monthly so that Youth Alive could uh, to, could begin to be launched in this area. So I want to say this morning how much I appreciate you, how much uh, you know the ministry is still going on today with Pastor Dave Freeland. Uh, God is blessing Youth Alive and campus ministry uh, in middle schools and high schools. And uh, and you may say, well, John, I didn't know that. Uh, that that could happen in a public school. Well, the reality is this. We can teach, folks, whether you realize it or not, we can teach some godly principles in schools without ever saying the name of Jesus. And uh, and so, you know, it's not a lost cause. It's not without hope. Uh, but we can do that and believe that Jesus ultimately can make the change in a life that that affects eternity. And so, uh, so thank you for doing that. You know, it's been 10 years as the youth director. Uh, we were we were thinking earlier, you know, our daughter is getting ready. Our daughter, Reagan, is getting ready to go to Southeastern in the fall as a freshman. I can't even believe it, you know, that that's happening. I know we don't look that old, okay, so humor me in that. Uh, uh, and our son, Ryder, is uh, 16, and, uh, you know, they're in our church that we attend on Sundays and part of the worship band this morning, or they would be with us. Uh, but, you know, it's been a great journey, uh, and God has been faithful uh, to us this morning. And so I was thinking about today, what would I share with you? You know, praying about this service and thinking about what God would say to us this morning. And I think the Lord led me to this passage of Scripture, and I want to be obedient to share that with you this morning. It's found in First Kings chapter 19. And so if you have your Bible or if you have your app on your phone or an iPad or whatever you use, uh, you can turn to First Kings chapter 19 this morning. And we're going to begin reading with verse number 19 here in just a few moments. Uh, appreciate Pastor Stan, you know, great man of God. God has given you a great a great leader in him and Pastor Raphael. And this morning, uh, we just want to pray a blessing on them and a blessing over this word today that God would, would speak to us and through us this morning. Uh, and so as you're finding it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to live in a country where we can worship the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you today, God, for your spirit that is alive in this place. I thank you, Lord, for leaders that have a heart to see students come to a knowledge of Jesus. God, I thank you for men and women and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas in the room today. 
God, that Lord want to see, God, their students come to know you. And God, I ask, Lord, today that you would speak to me, Lord, speak through me today. That, God, I would share what you would desire for your people to hear. That, God, we would be truly, Lord, more than just hearers of your word, but we would be doers as well. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place. And so, Lord, we commit the remainder of this service to you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. It's great to have my wife, Denise, with me uh, this morning. She's not always able to travel with me, so whenever she can, uh, I always appreciate that today. Uh, but for those of you that uh, that are interested in titles, okay, uh, I named this, uh, titled this message, rather, Connect Four, okay? And it felt like, you know, as... Uh, as we went on vacation this summer, you know, again, my, my 16-year-old is all about gaming. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he likes sports. He likes all that. He's attention deficit terrible. You know what I'm saying? But, but here's the thing. You know, he's all about gaming. And so, you know, we're constantly staying on him about the amount of data that he burns up using, you know, his phone. And so, uh, you know, there, there was this new craze, this new game, right? Some of you students are smiling. Pokemon. Go that everybody kind of is talking about and playing and participating in. Now you may have your own opinion of that. You know that's that's another whole discussion in and of itself. But nevertheless, you know it's it's a game that that students play. You know electronically, and so it's you know it's something that they're engaged in right now. Well, you know it hasn't been that long ago that we used to play games that had nothing to do with electronics. You know what I'm saying? And so this game, Connect Four. How many of you ever? Played Played it. Connect Four. You know, some of you older folks, especially, have played it. Some of you younger ones, you'll, you'll learn about it today. You know, Connect Four was a game that that was uh, popular back in the 1970s. That's when it was created. So it's been around for a long time. You know, and you can go to Walmart, you can go to Target, whatever. You can pick this game up. You know, the object was real simple. Okay, you set across the table from an opponent. You know, there were, I think, if it's still this color, there were red disc and yellow disc, right? And so the object was to get all four of them in a row while at the same time you wanted to block your opponent, you know? So it was pretty simple. I mean, you know, it wasn't real complicated, but it was a simple game with the object of connecting four of the same color disc in a row. Not quite as exciting as Pokemon, you know what I'm saying? But nevertheless... It was a game that was there, it was current, and it's still current, it's still, it's still sold today. And so, you know, I thought about that game in terms of, you know, we have a strategy, right? There's a strategy involved in any kind of board game that you play, any kind of an electronic game you play, there's a strategy, there's something that you're out to do, and what is that? You're out to win, right? I mean, that's the object of the game. And I thought about that game in terms of, what does that mean for the church? There should be an object that as a church that we're all out to accomplish, right? We want to win as many people to Jesus as we possibly can while we have the opportunity. We want to be able to see as many people in any given community, any given high school, any given middle school come to a saving knowledge of Jesus while we have the opportunity. Now, you may say, you know what, John, uh, you know, I don't know that the world's getting any better. You know, if you've watched the, the, 
the uh, conventions the last couple of weeks. You know, we've heard polar opposite, and I don't want to get into all that this morning. But here's the thing. You know, you can look at the society around us, and you can say, you know what, the world's getting better. Or you can look at it and say, the world's getting worse. Bottom line is this. We read the end of the story in the Word of God, and we know that at some point in time that we're going to cease to exist, as we do today. The reality is this. We have a strategy that is ahead of us, and that is to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible before it's too late. You know, I don't sit back, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really sit around and worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I'm pretty positive most of the time in my outlook on life because I look at it this way. No matter what happens in the world around us, the reality is this. We win. The reality is the church is we know the end of the story. We know the fact that Jesus died that we could live in freedom. And we know know no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter whether we get a bad report, right, from the doctor, No matter whether our boss hands us a a pink slip and says, I'm sorry, your job is terminated. No matter what goes on around us, no matter how discouraging it may be, we realize this, that we serve a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what the Word of God says. So we know no matter what happens around us, we can have the hope that Jesus lives inside of us and that all things, right, work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now I realize that in youth ministry that there's all, it's always changing, you know. I realized this, that, you know, back in the, you know, when I went to, went to college, you know, I had to go to the library and I had to get out books, you know what I'm saying? And I had to open them all up and I had to sit down and I had to write a paper in that way. Well, I know today, you know, students, they've got a lot of blessings and the simple fact that they can sit and click on a few and there it is, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I know the world is ever changing and I know this culture is ever changing. But I realize this, as a church, if we're going to continue to be effective, to win, in other words, there's four things that I think that we've got to do. And I thought about it in terms of what is God saying to us. So, in 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 19. You can read along with me in whatever version you had this morning. I'm going to read out of the New International Version, but it says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. I believe the King James says his mantle passed upon him, something of that nature. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I'm going to ask you to turn over to 2 Kings chapter 2. should be just a couple of pages there perhaps in your Bible. 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 9 through 11. 2 Kings 2 verse 9 through 11 says this. When they had crossed... Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. 
let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, I want to tell you about this passage as I think about it. You know, as, as a couple of the athletes said earlier, you know, I grew up in church, you know, relatively all my life, and, and I went to Sunday school, and, and one of the things that I remember about Sunday school was this. There was the flannel graph board, okay? Now, some of you may remember what I'm talking about. Some of you probably have no clue, okay? But what it was, it was a flannel graph board, you know, that was on the wall in the Sunday school class, and I remember that. And, you know, our teacher would sit there, and she would begin to tell us stories out of the Word of God. And the interesting thing was, you know, she had these, she had these little paper-like, you know, figurine things. You know, they were little paper that she would stick up on the board, and she'd tell us the story. And, and I remember, you know, a lot of stories as a, as a little guy grew up in a church. But, but I remember this one in particular. It was a picture of Elijah, and he was in a chariot of fire. And he was going up, to, you know, going up to heaven. And I remember as a little guy growing up in church, you know, that was pretty exciting to me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to think that here's a chariot of fire, you know, and here's this guy with this big old gray beard, and he's going up to heaven. He didn't die. He's, you know, and, and there's horses and all of that. And so as a little guy that likes violence, you know, every little guy likes violence, okay? But as a little guy, you know, that was exciting to me. You know, and so I, so I always thought about this passage, and I thought, you know, that's kind of what I focused on. Elijah going up to heaven in a whirlwind. Pretty amazing. Chariot of fire, that's awesome, you know. And as I read this story, you know, I, I went back to 1 Kings chapter 19, the very first verse that we read. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. And I was reading this and reading this and reading this. One of the things that... That, you know, I would love it if, if God would speak to us in an audible voice. But he doesn't. Not that he can't. At least he hasn't to me. But usually he doesn't. But, you know, it's, sometimes it's that, that, that small voice inside of you. You know, that just kind of like, you know, gets your attention in the, in the Word of God and you can't get away from it. And that was kind of what I was experiencing reading First Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. And I couldn't get beyond that. And so as I, I thought about it, prayed about it, read about it, you know, I believe the Lord began to drop some thoughts in my heart into regards to what does that mean for us. You know what I'm saying? I don't just read the Bible and go, it's a collection of great stories. If the Bible is not relevant to who we are today, then it's nothing more than just a book. So I read this, and, and I believe the Lord began to speak to me in terms of what is this a picture of? Here's Elijah, right? The man of God, the voice of God, the prophet of God for his generation. Elijah had done some great things and had experienced some great things. And, and it says this, Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Who is Elisha? Elisha was the young man. Elisha, right as we read the rest of the story, we begin to understand that Elisha was the voice of God, right, for his generation, for the next generation. And so it says in the word, so Elijah, the man of God, the voice of God for his generation, went from there and found Elisha 
the man of God, the voice of God, for the next generation. And I thought about, God, what is that saying to us as a church? What does that mean in terms of youth ministry? You know, the reality is this this morning. How many times as a church do we open our doors and we offer a lot of programs, write a lot of activities, a lot of things going on, and we expect people to walk inside of our doors and then they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? You know, that does happen, right? We should do some of that, right? But this story tells me this, that the voice of God, the man of God for his generation, went from there and found the voice of God, the man of God for the next generation. So that tells me this, that our success in any given community does not happen inside the four walls of our building. The success of what we do in any given community is what happens when we walk outside of the four walls of our buildings. When we begin to say, you know what, our level of spirituality or relationship with Jesus is not measured by what we do here, but it's measured by what we do outside of here. Help us realize today the value of youth ministry is not just about our service, but it's about what we do when we leave the service. And we begin to say, God, how can we connect with the next generation? You know, I had a godly grandmother. I tell this story a lot. I had a godly grandmother who, you know, she loved Jesus. And and she was a little short lady, and she always had white hair. You know, I don't know. At some point she didn't. But, you know, from what I remember, she always had white hair. And whenever we would go over to her house, it was always interesting. We would walk in the door, and there were two things that I remember vividly about Grandma's house, okay? Two things. One is this. When you walked in the door, she always made homemade biscuits. You know what I'm saying? Now, now let me explain something for the students in the room, okay? And for some of the, you know, the younger folks in the room. Here's the thing. It wasn't go to Walmart and get, you know, the Jiffy Pop can and pop it open and lay it on the plate. I mean, you know, that's not how it happened. You know what I'm saying? It was homemade biscuits, meaning she would reach into something that she called lard. Don't ask me what that is. I have no idea. But she would reach in it. She would lay it on the table and she'd get flour out and she'd begin to, like, knead the dough. And then she'd take a rolling pin and she'd roll it out, you know. She'd swat us with that same rolling pin. It's always funny. But she would roll it out and she'd begin to cut. The, the biscuits out and then she'd put them on a on a put them in the oven and they bake and the house would would smell like those homemade biscuits. Always remember that about her. The second thing about her that I remember very vividly is that when we walked in the door, she would walk up to my brother and I. She would grab me by this cheek and she would grab my brother by the other cheek. You know, and she would pinch them and she'd say, you know what, John, you're getting so big, you're growing so tall, you know, all that kind of stuff that that grandmas like to do. And every once in a while, you know, she and I know this is kind of disgusting, but humor me. Every once in a while, she would kind of spit in her hand and try to smooth down the cowlick on the back. of. Now, I know you may say she needs to do the same thing today, John. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But she would smooth it down, you know, and that was just and, and you know, that was grandma. I mean, that's just what we knew about her. You know what I'm saying? 
And we would get in the car and we would drive home. And my brother and I would always look at each other and go, does Grandma think that cheek pinching thing feels good? I mean, you know, we didn't understand that. I mean, she would pinch it and twist it only like a grandma can do, you know. And and we would go, what is that? You know, I mean, does she, I mean, we, you know. And, and so, but the interesting thing was this. As we got older, we began to understand that that was Grandma's way of letting us know that we were important to her. That was her way of building a relationship with her grandsons, with her grandkids. Now, I think about that in terms of this. Point number one, we need a connection with the culture. See, she invested in her grandkids and connected in a way that was important to her. We need a connection church as a body of believers. We need a connection with the culture. Now, you know, as Raphael was saying earlier, you know, Denise and I have been in youth ministry all of our lives. You know, we love it more today than we did when we started. I feel like with an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, we're living in youth ministry. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're there. Messy rooms, you know, all of that that goes on, you know, Twitter blowing up about this or that or whatever's happening. You know, so we're living in youth ministry, okay? And I can tell you all of the years of experience that we've had, I still don't understand why students feel the need to, you know, to, to pierce the part of their body that looks real painful to me as an individual. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why students today choose to dye their hair pink, purple, blue, whatever the color is of the day. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why girls stand in the mirror with a phone and take a picture of themselves and slap it all over Facebook 15 or Instagram or whatever. I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand it. I don't I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why, you know, uh, any of that kind of thing. And so here's the reality. There are things that I don't understand about this culture. But I'll tell you this. God never asked me to understand the culture. God asked me to look past the outward appearance and to look at the state of the heart. To realize this, that even though we may not understand the culture, God has still asked us to connect with the culture. He still asked us to realize this, that even though we may have had our children grown, moved out, and now we have grandkids, there's something that every one of us in the room has to do in terms of youth ministry. You know, I believe this. Every person in the church should be involved in youth ministry. If we believe that First Kings chapter 19, verse 19 is true, every one of us in the room should be a part of youth ministry. Now, I'm not asking you, those of you that say, you know what, I don't understand students, they scare me. I mean, I get it. I'm not asking you to come to youth service. In fact, it would probably be awkward, you know what I'm saying, and a little uncomfortable if you showed up in youth service. But that doesn't alleviate, right, your responsibility with youth ministry. You can begin to connect very simply with the culture by realizing this, that every student that walks in the door of our buildings may have a mom or dad that loved Jesus and most likely may not. You know, I had the privilege of having a pretty good heritage, but... A lot of our students today don't. A lot of our students today are from fractured families. A lot of our students today have two moms or two dads. And we, we have to understand that there's still a responsibility that we have to connect with the culture. I can tell you a lot of the churches that we walk into on Sunday morning, 
the youngest person in the congregation, maybe 50 plus years old. And, and, and it's just a biological fact that if at some point in time that church will cease to exist unless people begin to connect with the culture. God help us. Number two, we need a connection to prayer. Prayer is the great word of the church, right? I mean, the Bible talks about the importance of prayer, the significance of prayer. We see example upon example upon example of what it means to pray. We need a connection to prayer. I believe this. This morning, we can make a decision to gather together and pray. Or we can make a decision to say, you know what, we're going to let a tragedy happen in any given community and then we'll pray. Real simple. We need a connection to prayer. We need a connection to a cause. We need a connection to a cause. Now, the Bible talks about in the last days, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. It talks about the godlessness in the last days. It talks about how men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, I don't know about you, but we're living right in the last days. You see, in that scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you this morning for the sake of time, but in that particular passage of scripture, Paul is writing to Timothy, right? And the, the environment that they lived in was an environment very similar to the environment that we live in today. We can read the list. And understand it's a reflection of what we're experiencing today. So the same issues that were there then are the same issues that we face today. They may take on a little bit different form or a little bit different method, but they're still the same challenges. And what God is asking us is to be men and women that are authentic in our relationship with Jesus. You know, anybody that knows me very well, they know that you know, I like watches. I mean, I'm just kind of a watch person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I like I like watches and what have you. And so, wasn't that long ago? A friend of mine, you know, uh, he he knew that and 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 would always kind of comment on, you know, John, that, like that watch, that kind of thing. Well, I was with him one day, and and he said to me, he said, you know, he goes, John, I've got a Rolex. Now. You can borrow it if you want. And, and so, so the thing is, is that that particular, you know, of course, I didn't own a Rolex. I didn't have the money for a Rolex. I didn't own a Rolex. So, but nevertheless, you know, I looked at it. I thought it was pretty cool and, you know, and, and, and what have you. And so I borrowed this Rolex. And, and it, so it was a Sunday morning. I put the Rolex on. And I'm, I'm very much like this. We're driving to a church. I'm going to speak that morning. I get it. You know, we pull into the church parking lot. I get out of the car. I'm walking across the parking lot. The clasp on the watch comes loose. Somehow, the watch falls off my wrist, okay, lands face down on the pavement, all right? Now, the first thing that I wanted to do was not say, praise Jesus. I mean, you know, I'm just being honest with you. (laughs) So I reached down. I picked up, it's like when you drop your phone face down, you know, you're just holding your breath. Well, I reached down, I pick up the, the watch, I turn it over, the face of the watch is cracked. 
Okay. Now, you know, bottom line, I'm going, okay, my dad always taught me that if you borrow something, you give it back as good, if not better, than what it was when you borrowed it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the service had to go on. This was insignificant, sort of, in, in, in terms of the day. So, you know, the watch kind of, you know, put the watch back on and went on with the service, you know, what have you. Got in the car, drove a couple hours home that particular afternoon. You know, I get home, I pick up the phone, I call my buddy, and I say this to you. Here's what happened. Got to the service this morning. So I go through the whole long story, all right, telling him what happened. On the other end of the phone, he starts laughing, and he goes, John, it's really okay. I bought that watch on the streets of New York for 25 bucks. It's really no big deal. You know what I'm saying? Now, there was a great sense of relief that came over me, okay, because I'm going 25 Dollars I can swing, you know what I'm saying? Twenty five hundred or more, eh, probably not, you know. And so, so I'm looking at that, but it was interesting how you know God kind of just dropped a thought in my heart. You know that watch, it looked like the real thing. I mean, it was heavy, it was weighted, the mechanism was decent inside of it, but the reality was this: that watch was a fake imitation of the real thing. And God said to me, how many times do we get up on a Sunday morning or any given moment and we go about our week and we're a fake imitation of the real thing? We look the part, right? We act the part. We know how to connect in the part. But the reality is this. We're not really genuine and authentic in our relationship with Jesus. The cause that is before us requires a real relationship with a real God. I'm convinced this morning that if you struggle in sharing your faith, you probably lack a real relationship with a real God. Help us be able to understand that God is asking us this morning to realize that there is a cause that is before us. That we don't have to wait for a tragedy to happen in any given community. And then we decide there's a cause and there's a prayer that is needed. I can't tell you how many times that we turn on the news or we look on the internet and something happens at some point in time around our country. And then in any given community, what do people do? They do candlelight vigils. They decide they're going to pray. And I want to think that, you know what, there, we have enough power in our relationship with God that we should pray before the tragedy ever happens. We should not wait for something to happen and then go, God, help us as a church connect in prayer. We should begin to say, God, how can we connect in prayer now before a tragedy? We need a connection with the culture. We need a connection to a cause. We need a connection to prayer. Now, you know, one of the heartbeats that I have is, is obviously youth ministry. I think we see example upon example in the Word of God of the older connecting with the younger. And if you're like me, I have a lot of really good intentions, but I'm human. You know, I say to folks, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, and, and what happens? Life happens, and sometimes we forget. Right? At least I do. I've tried to watch how many times I say, I'm going to pray for you, if I'm not really willing to commit to it. And so I thought this morning, how can we challenge a church to pray for students today? How can we do that? Well, you know, there, in any given community, there's a school zone, right? 
any given community, there's an area where you'll pass through a school zone, right? And there's either the blink, the, you know, the flashing light or the school zone sign or, or what have, and if you're like me for a long time, what I used to do is just, you know, is there any cops around? I'm late. <laughs> you know, drive through it and keep going. But you know, the, the truth is this, that school zone sign, right, is there for the safety, the physical safety of the students and the teachers and the faculty that attend that school. It's asking us as folks to slow down long enough for safety reasons in any any given school zone. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we can do about connecting with the culture, about connecting in prayer, is we can realize realize that when we see that school zone sign, for example, we can say, you know what, the, the five or ten seconds that it takes us to slow down, may we take that five or ten seconds and say, God, today in that school, may you be with those students. May you be with those teachers. May you be with those administrators. You may not agree with their philosophy. I understand that. But, you know, again, God hasn't asked us to agree with the philosophy. God has asked us to pray. God has asked us to make a decision to go, how can we pray for those around us that are in need? We need a connection to prayer. You can adopt that principle about anything. You can drive by your job and you can pray for your your uh, employers, your fellow employees. It's that simple. Prayer makes a difference. And the fourth thing is this. We need a connection to the body of Christ. We need a connection to the body of Christ. You know, I, I want to say to you this morning, denominations aren't going to make it. They're not. Fellowships are not going to make it. Individually, we can accomplish some great things, but think about what we could do corporately. You know, as I said earlier, I grew up in church. I grew up sleeping on the pew, under the pew, and over the pew. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just did that. You know, as a, as a, as a student, you know, I, I grew up thinking that when we get to heaven... It's going to be a big Assembly of God love fest. I mean, you know, that's, you know, I thought we're going to make it and nobody else is. I mean, you know, that's kind of what, you know, just be honest, that's kind of what I thought. But as I've got older, I begin to understand that heaven's going to be made up of a lot of different flavors of people. There's going to be Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God, Church of God, every denomination and fellowship that names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior is going to be represented in heaven. And I think about the fact that how is that going to work? Because here on the planet, we don't get along, right? I mean, we argue over how we worship. We argue and debate over how we baptize people, whether we dunk them or we sprinkle them. You know? I mean, we argue over whether we take communion once a month or every week. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we get hung up in a lot of stuff. But I want to think that that when we get to heaven, that this is what matters. It matters that we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, period. And when we begin to do that in our communities and realize this, that a win across the street for that church is a win for us, when we can begin to say, you know what, if there can be a McDonald's and a Burger King and a Taco Bell and a Chipotle on every corner, you know what, and they all stay in business, that we can realize this in any given community, there can be a church on every block, and we can all stay in business, right? Because there are more people dying and lost without Jesus than that there are that know Him. So we've got a market, right? We've got the opportunity 
that is before us, but we've got to begin to say, you know what? We need a connection with the body of Christ. Yes, we worship differently. Yes, there are things that we should do that are individually and uniquely ours. But the reality is this, that there are some things in every given community that we can link arms together and we can say, you know what? It's not about my house. It's about our house, right? It's about coming together and saying, God, whatever it takes. Elijah realized there had to be an Elisha. Elijah realized there had to be someone that would come after him and that would build a relationship with the next generation. And it went twofold, right? Elijah had to go and find Elisha, but then Elisha, the younger, had to do something. Students in the room, I want to say this to you. Look at those that are older and more mature in their faith and realize that there's value that they bring to your life. Realize that there's a relationship that goes both ways. It's not either or, but it's both and. Realize today that it takes us building a relationship with one another. And it says this, it says, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. I think Elisha could have said, you could have left me your cattle, you could leave me your property, you could have left me a lot of stuff. But Elisha said this, let me inherit a double portion of your anointing. What that tells me is this, Elisha, the younger, had a heart for God. He had a heart to experience God. But it also tells me this, Elijah, the older, had enough of God that that's what Elisha wanted. Those of you in the room, God, help us realize today, those of us that are older, help us realize that our relationship with God matters. Even though our kids may be grown and gone, our relationship with God matters, and how we carry ourselves matters. You know, I meet some folks periodically in our churches, and they look completely miserable. I look at them and think to myself, you know, if I was, if that was a representation of who Jesus is, I don't want to be part of that either. I'm saying, realize this, that sometimes it's as simple as offering a smile to someone that needs it. It's as simple as saying please and thank you to someone that needs it. It's as simple as saying, you know what, what can I do to help you? Not what can you always do to help me? It's those things that really ultimately matter. Many of you know the story of Moses and Joshua. 